I'm Kara, and welcome to Soul Inspiring Business. I believe that all of us possess unique gifts and talents that allow us to serve the world and our own growth in the highest possible way. Our lives are an expression of our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. And here, we will explore businesses, thought leaders, and topics designed to inspire, helping propel your own growth so you can live your best and most purposeful life. Welcome to Soul Inspiring Business. Hello and welcome. Thank you so much to all of our loyal listeners for your support and welcome to anyone joining us for the first time. A reminder that I have a free gift for you at www.freegiftfromcara.com created with an intention to help you have an incredible breakthrough year. Now in this episode, I talk with Chris Noggle, dubbed as America's number one money mentor. Chris's mission is to empower others with knowledge about how the financial system really works and encourage you to take more control of your financial success. Now, Chris shares his stories from humble beginnings to pro snowboarder to t-shirt designer and the path that has led him to where he is now, where he is one of the top voices in wealth management. You'll hear his passion in sharing the truth about money, the secrets for what the wealthy do with their money, which is much different than what you've been taught, and his simple advice, which is really to change just one thing in how you manage your money that can completely transform your financial story. Now, what I especially loved about Chris was his passion, his willingness to be open and vulnerable about some of his own hard lessons, and really his true desire to make a big impact in the world by helping people create financial freedom. I hope you enjoy, and it all starts now. Well, welcome to the show, Chris Noggle. We're really excited to have you here on the Soul Inspiring Business Podcast today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Yeah. Well, again, when I first... Um, uh, you know, when you first agreed to be on the show, I was really thrilled because I really wanted to hear your story. I mean, going from pro snowboarder, t-shirt designer, and now to one of the top voices in wealth management, you know, you've really dedicated yourself now to being America's number one money mentor. And a, a few you know, of your accolades along the way, uh, you've managed over $30 million in assets in the financial services and advisory industry, tens of millions in real estate business, over 200 transactions in an HGTV pilot show. And you've built and owned 16 companies with businesses being featured in Forbes and ABC and House Hunters. So how does one, I'm, I'm always so fascinated to understand the journey and the path to that led you to where you are today. So help us understand what was that journey like? Yeah, you know, the journey is always the fun part, you know, and my journey has been nothing less than a roller coaster ride. And it starts back, you know, just growing up in a lower, lower middle class family. My mom raised me, dad was an alcoholic, so I didn't really see him much. And I remember we never had money. So when I wanted things, I couldn't just say, hey, mom, I want a four-wheeler, a skateboard, a dirt bike. It was always, you know, I had to envision it. And I was a big artistic kid. So I would always draw a lot. And my mom always taught me, you know, when you want something, all you need to do is work really hard for it and, you know, never stop thinking about it. And I don't know where she came up with that, but I would, I would just fascinate on things and draw pictures and visualize myself literally so intently that I would have dreams about what I was thinking about. And, you know, you know, the story on how that stuff works. I mean, at that time when I was a kid, I didn't know that that was actually a law. But that law, you know, materialized uh, right into becoming a pro snowboarder, which is one of my my biggest dreams as a kid. And I remember when I uh, I was young, I worked on a farm just to afford gas and, you know, skateboard decks and things like that. But that that led me into my big boy job at 16 working for a restaurant. And that that restaurant job was one that made me realize that I never, ever wanted to work for someone else. They treated me so bad that one day I quit and I came home thinking mom was going to be mad. And I said, mom, I want to, I don't, you know, I quit my job and I want to open a clothing line in the basement. Is that 16 years old? I knew nothing about wow. business. I knew nothing about t-shirts. All I knew is there was this company in the snowboard and skateboard industry that I loved and I wanted to do what they were doing. So I printed a dozen t-shirts with my art teacher, Mr. Mahalski, 
after school and I sold them out of my backpack. And then that's, that's how it began. Literally the, the whole business formed with a $500 loan from my local credit union. And that, that dream it's kind of materialized. And I was, I was traveling around snowboarding, selling my clothes, taking orders. And I'm like, I know I'll never forget the first shop that took my, my stuff. I remember I was going to a contest. I'm like, so nervous, you know, like when you're young, like you get sweaty palms, you've never done a sales pitch. You've never, you don't know how to even do it. And I walked into this skateboard snowboard shop and I'm like, had my clothes, had my brochure and I just pitched it. And they said, yes. And I'm like, wait a second. Yes. Like you're going to buy my clothes. And that's where it all began. And about a year later, I had four seamstresses working for me and I had my next big dream. And that was, you know, and in all these travels and all these shops, I saw these shop owners who were literally living to me what was the perfect life. They ran their store. So they were in their store, but yet they would go snowboarding, they'd go skateboarding. And it was just like the perfect thing. And I'm like, I got to have that. So at 17, that dream from went from a clothing line to wanting a skateboard snowboard shop. And in 1994, November 94, never forget, we opened that first shop and it wasn't easy. I almost abandoned that dream because I didn't know what it was like to raise money. I needed 70 grand. I went to every person I knew or at least thought had money and they all told me, no, you're crazy. You can't do that. My dad said, you know, go get a job at the factory. I'll, I'll introduce you. You know, in other words, follow in my footsteps, work 30 years, get your pension. I'm like, no, dad. And my mom saw this all happening. And even though she had nothing, it came down to a bank was going to give me an SBA back loan, but I needed collateral. I didn't even, this is silly. And I, I look back at this. I didn't even know what collateral was. Mm. I'm like, collateral, what is that? And they're like, well, something backing the loan. Oh, cool. I've got a 1986 Buick. I've got a dirt bike. I've got a baseball card collection. What else would you need? No kid, we, we need real collateral. My mom did something really crazy and put her house on the line. The only thing she had in the world, this little two bedroom, 700 square foot ranch. And she put it on the line so that her crazy punk snowboard kid could, she, could chase his dreams. And I went deep into that story because that sums up everything in my life. My whole life has just been me visualizing and dreaming the things I wanted all the way, you know, to those shops, to becoming a pro snowboarder. And then, you know, life was so perfect. And I, I say that, you know, because it really was, I, I was living the dream. Mm -hmm. And then in the early 2000s, remember when the, the dot-com crash happened? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. I say that to people. Most people don't even remember it, but I said, I say that. And at that moment, my business took a big hit and I had to actually get a job. And I remember I was either going to deliver pizzas or, or get a job. I put my resume out and that's what landed me in Wall Street. Of all the places for like a, a snowboard kid to land, like you mentioned, I landed in Wall Street and I was kind of like, ah, this is just a temporary thing. Maybe I won't even like it. But I kept watching that movie with Michael Douglas, at Wa the original Wall Street. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. I'm going to be and that stockbroker. Back up. How did you end up in Wall Street? Because yeah, um, that's a good question. So like what? Yeah. Where was that? How did that connection come? So I, I put my resume out there and I don't remember what the sites were. I mean, the internet was a relatively newer thing then, but I put my, my resume out and I got calls from two financial companies. And the one I'm like, no, I don't want to sell life insurance. And the other one, you know, was like this big Wall Street kind of thing, like this small stock brokerage house. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. And I remember I drove, uh, I, I drove my car out to Rochester. I was so nervous, never even put a tie on in my life. And uh, it was this big boardroom table, this guy at the end pitching me on this unbelievable opportunity. And he slides his car keys across the table. I don't remember what he had, but it was some fancy car. And I'm like, I'm in, like, let's go. And uh, that's where it began. Uh, it's just wow. the craziest thing. And I, I don't know what they saw in my resume. I think, well, later I, you know, in, in financial services, it's very hard for financial companies to get somebody and keep them. And they've done research and studies showing that self-employed individuals have a higher probability of staying in the industry because they're, they're used to that varying income that you get as a, a financial advisor, because it's all commission. So when I started, I remember I was, I was so broke at this point in my life. And I, I don't ever tell people, but I'm going to tell it on your show here. I was so broke. I was living in my friend's house. I had a tiny little room that I rented, I think for 180 bucks a month and I couldn't afford food, you know? So when I would go to the office to work, I couldn't afford to bring a lunch. So what I would do is it was a mulberry tree 
out at this house and I would go out and I'd fill up Tupperware of mulberries and that's what I would eat. And that's how hard things were back then. And I remember it took a while to get that financial advisory thing going, but the first year in the business, I ended up doing 74,000, which was the most money I'd ever made, you know, in any you know job. And at that moment, I'm like, I'm, I'm sticking with it. And wow. let's fast well, forward. I think, yeah. And I think just a few things that I think is just really interesting that you've said, number one, from the very beginning, going back to like way when it started, that job that you just that you know take it working in the restaurant and then just deciding this wasn't for me and quitting and you know I think that a lot of people sometimes stay in situations maybe way too long because they're just kind of afraid to take the next leap or do something that feels follow the intuitive guidance that they're given. Um, what do you think it was then? Were you just too young to know or to have too many other things in your head? Or what do you think that was that was different for you? Well, that job, I mean, they literally degraded me so bad. I, I think, I don't, I don't know because I never took medication for depression, but I think I was clinically depressed. I was mm. so just down every day. I, I, I would dread going to work. I knew I was going to get yelled at for something, but let me kind of go into what you just said about yeah. the leap. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a story that I can tell that will really sum up, you know, my mentality. And I think a lot of business owners think this way, but it really does come down to in life. We really have to make decisions at points in our lives to leap. And we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And I'll, I'll go to a contest that I wrote in uh, this one will never, ever be forgotten in my professional career as a snowboarder, but it was in New Hampshire. I got invited to this big event. I mean, it was like my first professional event. It was a huge event. And I, I was so nervous. I hardly slept. And I got on the lift that morning. It was foggy. I'm going up. And as soon as I kind of came over this little crest, like I looked to my left and, you know, through the fog, you could see the outline of this ginormous jump. And I'll, I mean, I remember seeing this thing going like, no, 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 that can't be what we're hitting. But I knew it was because they had all the, the banners and everything set up. And I'm like, I've never hit a jump that big. Like I, you know, and at that moment, you know, I'm, I'm super confident. I'm, I'm excited. It's my first big event. And at that moment, it all crashed. I'm just like, now all I have is fear in me. I get to the top <clears throat> and I remember walking around some other riders show up and we all have our headphones on. That was the headphone error. And we're all mm -hmm. just kind of listening and, you know, Hey, what's up, man. You know, but we're all thinking the same darn thing. Who's going to hit that thing first. And mm -hmm. snowboarders, you know, it was a tight little group. We had this little thing, Rochambeau and I lost, you know, I don't know whether I was like the rock and I got paper or something like that, but I lost and I had to Guinea pig the jump, which means I had to go first. So I'm sitting at the starting gate. The starter comes over and says, okay, Chris, are you ready to go? Clearly I'm not, but I'm like, you know, you just nod your head and I'm looking down at this jump and I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if I go too fast and I hit this jump with too much speed, I'm going to overshoot the landing. I could land, I could break my legs. I can be paralyzed. But if I check my speed too much and I, I don't go fast enough, I'm going to hit that deck and it, it could blow my knees out. All these things are going through your head. And like parallel this to life, like, right, every time we got to make a decision, we're thinking of all the negatives, all the bad things that can happen. And, and a lot of people never get past that, especially in real estate. But at that moment, I had to make a decision. I got all these riders, everybody watching me. It's my big moment. So I leaped. And as soon as I leaped, it's just a moment of silence, just gaining speed. And then, and then you're in the air, you're off. But at that moment, the second you took off, you know, in the air on that jump, fear was gone because at that time, all the practice, all the times you've drilled, all the times you've done this all kicks in and it's instinct. It really is. Mm -hmm. And you do your trick and you land, you ride away. And at that very moment, when you ride away, fear doesn't even exist in your, in your world. The only thing that you think about is how you can get up to the top again and hit it again, because you got more tricks you need to do. Like that one summary, that one event sums up how I've gone at every business in my life. And I haven't always landed. I haven't always been successful. I've failed on tons of businesses, but I've never not leaped. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of people in life don't do that leap, which gets them stuck in a job, in a business, or in something that they just are not happy with. And mm -hmm. I just was never willing to accept that. Yeah, no, I think you're so right. I think sometimes we're... Um, 
we're taught or conditioned to think about all the reasons why it's not going to work. And so then we let those fears, you know, get into our head and it just puts us in a place of pause or in a place where we're not able to take the next leap, to take the next big growth move that is needed in order to help us learn the next lesson and and get to a different level, you know, so you're so right. Now, I'm also, I'm, you know, it's crazy. And thank you for sharing, you know, about your, um, you were, you know, down and out and, and just had, weren't, didn't even have, um, food, you know, that you were picking from mulberries from the tree in order to eat. So then tell me, how did that, how did you break through then right to the next step from there? Well, I mean, guys at the financial firm, you know, kind of saw that I wasn't, you know, going to, to lunch with them. They had a little cafeteria area and I wouldn't be there. And I'd always be like, you know, just sitting at my desk and, you know, a couple of them would invite me and, you know, they'd buy lunch for me. So that's kind of that. But, you know, I just started getting really good at what I did. And I remember I did what every other advisor, because they had this new org, which was all the new guys that came in and we were kind of all there and it was a competitive situation. Like I want to beat the other new guys. And I remember, I would watch them all come in at like nine and leave at five. And I'm like, okay, if I'm going to beat them, I got to get here at seven and I got to leave it at seven. So I just literally did what everybody else was unwilling to do. And some of the hardest things as an advisor is picking the phone up and calling that client that you're just nervous to call. Mm-hmm. And I just got over that. And I remember I'd just call them and call them and call them. And I started getting really good at talking to people and getting appointments. And, and I remember <clears throat> to me, I was thinking to myself, all the training they did, I was, I remember my success really came because I was very good at solving some of these problems. I truly cared. I really did. I remember talking to people and I'd, they'd tell me all the things they're trying to accomplish and the things they're trying to do. And I would ask them, well, how come this isn't working? What are you not doing? And I would just listen intently. And I took tons of notes. I remember I just had notebooks and notebooks of my clients' notes. And when I'd meet with them, I would just focus only on what their problem was. I wouldn't focus on what I'm selling or you know what I think. It was always just if I can solve this person's problem, I'm going to make some money. Mm -hmm. And never forget. I mean, it's so weird to look back at this time because I I think my first couple sales, I might've made like $500 or maybe one of the commissions was 700. And I I remember calling my mom saying, mom, mom, I just made $700. And I literally had to meet with the person for two hours. And I'm like, I've never, I never even thought this was real. And it was just like, it just clicked. And I'm like, how many times can I do this? How many times can I do it over and over? And from that early 2000s, which was 2003 to 2008, I became one of the top advisors in that firm. I literally was one of the top two guys every year and I was just crushing it and I was making a lot of money. But you know, when you start making a lot of money for the first time in your life, you get this thing called an ego. And, and unfortunately that, that hit me and it hit me in uh, it hit me really hard in 2008, but I had flipped a couple houses in that, in that time. I did one in 06, which was my first one in 2007. And then in 08, I dove in and I bought a, a dilapidated paint store that I was going to convert into a three unit strip mall, borrowed a whole bunch of money from a private lender. I call him knuckles now. Cause he wasn't a nice guy. And you remember 08, right? There's, there's, there's a right time to do things in a wrong. And boy, I didn't know what was coming. And when it hit, it brought me to my knees. I, I, even though I'd made a lot of money, I didn't save a lot because I kept, you know, investing in different things. I I was heavily invested in the stock market because, Hey, if you're a stockbroker, why not invest heavily in stocks? And I got decimated when that hit, I had this big monthly payment for the strip mall. And I remember coming home to my girlfriend, she just moved into my house and she was like that girl that I was like, wow, I can't believe, you know, she's living with me. And I had no money again. You know, I, and I was just broke. I, I had enough money to pay one more monthly payment to this hard money lender. And I knew I had to make some hard decisions. I, I don't know if this is what you call a leap. I call it a pivot. And I said to Larissa, I said, late at night, I said, sweetie, I need your help. Kind of just sat her down. I said, I need your help paying the mortgage here. I need your help paying the utilities. And I, I got to move my friend Pete into that bedroom down the hall. And my other friend Jessica is going to rent the bedroom upstairs. I can't make it. I, I can't do it. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, yeah, this is going to be the point where she walks out the door and never comes back. And I remember that was the risk, right? That's, that's what I was laying on the line, but she didn't. I think she kind of liked me and, you know, she ended up sticking with me through all that. We now, you know, we've been married for a while and we have a little nine month old, but oh, yeah, that was, God. thank you. That was a hard time. It was a hard time for a lot of people, but it was really hard for me because 
I felt, I felt guilt, bad, bad guilt. Uh, I'd get up at four in the morning wondering like, how did I get myself in this predicament? And, and how come I didn't see this coming? And, and how come I didn't prepare my clients for this? Because now it was just, you know, it's just going down and down and my clients are freaking out. And, and I'm supposed to be the advisor that's supposed to guide people through these times. And I wasn't, I was right there with them. I'm losing just as much as they were. And I didn't have an answer. So that was a hard thing to tackle. So that was 08. Then, you know, I came through that barely and I started buying real estate in 09 again. And I started buying dilapidated apartment buildings, pennies, pennies on the dollar back then. And I got up to 36 units by 2014 and I just kept pushing on. I wasn't in a great financial place, but I was starting to build assets. Now, prior to that, I had a lot of income, but the only assets I really had were my retail stores, a bunch of Audis. I was a big Audi freak. So I just foolishly you know, kind of spent money because I was making it and I spent it. That's just kind of what a lot of people do. But now I'm like, well, I got to build assets. So by 14, I had 36 units. And then all of a sudden I get the 37th deal, take it to the bank. And the bank tells me, Chris, we can't give you the mortgage for this. And I'm like, why? You gave me all the mortgages for all these other ones in the strip mall. And like, we've got a great relationship. I've never really been late on payments. Like what's wrong? Well, you don't fit in the little square box called debt to income ratio. I was borrowing personally. I had, I, I hadn't learned things I needed to learn yet. And <clears throat> they called one of my lines of credit that I was using to rehab my, my apartments. And then they called one of my mortgages. Now I didn't know then what I know now that the bank was being bought by a large commercial bank. Key bank was buying this small little community bank and they were cleaning up their balance sheet and I was on the chopping block. So when that happened, it snowballed again into another major problem. And I had to sell all 36 units. Me and Larissa had bought our dream home, 171 Radcliffe, never forget that great, awesome house. And we had to sell that. And it just created a lot of problems in my life, a lot of problems in my uh, my relationship. And, you know, you can see like, in oh, you know, up to 08, I'm, I'm at the top. And then all of a sudden I lost it all. And then now 2009 to 14, I'm kind of at the top again, or I'm getting there. And then I, lo I lose it all again. And I'm just like, you know, what the heck is going on here? What? am I missing? I, I'm a financial advisor. I, I know, like, I think I know what I don't know, but I thought I did. And I keep riding this roller coaster. And in my lowest point, I remember I get a postcard in the mail. And it was a postcard to go to this three-day seminar to learn how to flip houses. Now, clearly, I didn't want to learn how to flip houses. I thought I already knew how to do that, but they were giving away an iPod shuffle. And I'm like, okay, well, I have nothing to lose, but I have an iPod shuffle to gain. So off I went. I went to this three-day event. I remember two guys getting up front talking. And one's name was Mike. One was Greg. And they're talking about money. And instantly I lean in. I'm like, ooh, money. This is my, this is my thing. And they start telling about how they're doing real estate deals, how they're getting the money, how they're raising money, how they're being the bank. And all this stuff was, I was just sponge. But the first thing that came across me is, holy crap, wait a second. These guys are doing things the complete opposite way that I've ever been taught to use money. They're doing things I've never even heard about, but it makes sense, but it's against everything I've learned as an advisor. And at that time, I remember I, I you know, bought into the program and maxed the credit card out. And I started following these two guys around, became friends with both of them. One of them is now a business partner of mine. And uh, I learned the truth or started to learn the truth about how money really works which was the opposite of everything I'd been taught as a financial advisor. Because as, as an advisor, they teach us how to be a really good salesperson, how to sell the, the products, but they don't teach us the truth about money. And that's when I really realized like there was a major problem. And from that year, 14 straight to 2021, I've literally made, I don't know if you call it a hobby, made it my life's mission to follow around multimillionaires and billionaires. So I was just in Utah with several billionaires last week. And all I do is I just talk to them about money, about what they do with money and what, what do they see coming? How are they doing the things they're doing and, and how do they get there? And I started seeing patterns with these, these extremely wealthy people on what they did with money. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I, I mean, when you see it once, twice, three times, like, ah, it's, it's, you know, coincidence. But when you start seeing every one of them doing the same darn thing, and you start saying, this is, this is stupid. Really? This is what you're doing. It's so simple and it's so simple, but an advisor really can't make any money doing what they do. Therefore, that's why I never knew about it. 
because it wasn't something I could sell. So interesting. Yeah. Well, and I love that, um, you know, I do think that there's a lot of people too about money that just kind of blindly invest in the stock market or mm -hmm. put money in their 401k because that's kind of what you're taught to do. Right. And so, and, and I think that also there's just sometimes I think a mindset of sacrifice, like that you have to kind of sacrifice and you got to, you know, pour your blood, sweat and tears, but learning the keys to wealth, I think from you, and I'd love to find out more about what some of those strategies are. Um, it, I think is just a way to empower people to really, when you have the information, when you have the knowledge, then you can choose differently and live a more fulfilling life because spirituality is sometimes I think, um, synonymous with sacrifice, right? But it doesn't have to be. It can be, I mean, I think part of our mission here is to live the most abundant life that we can. And so, um, so tell us what are the wealthy doing differently or what patterns did you see? Well, one of the main patterns, let me talk about the biggest thing I saw, because this was the thing that I remember when I heard about it, it was from Mike, that guy I was talking about at Salt and Salt. I was in Salt Lake City at a Cheesecake Factory and talking to him about how he was lending money to me because I was borrowing money for my flips. And I remember him telling me about this thing. And it was basically, I was saying, Mike, so how are you lending money? Like, where, where do you use? Like, how do you do this? And he says, well, I use self-directed IRAs for some, but I use my private bank for the other. I'm like, ooh, private bank. What, that sounds cool. What is that? And he's like, well, it's it's a, a banking system that I've been creating over the last couple of years. And and he keeps going on and on with this. And I'm, I'm leaning in. You know, you ever been so interested in, in a conversation, just kind of like lean in that ear starts going, all right, come on, give me more and more. And then all of a sudden, he, he like starts saying some things that I recognized. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, Mike, 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 like what you're talking about, like, are you talking about whole life insurance, bud? Like is whole life insurance doesn't work the way you just explained it. And he says, yeah, but you know, and he keeps going on. He says, it's not just the whole life is just a machine and it's not a regular whole life. And he keeps going. And I'm like, dude, it, it doesn't work that way. So whoever's telling you this is lying to you. And he says, he leans into me very serious. I'll never forget this. I felt like I was being scolded. He leans into me and he says, Chris, if it doesn't work this way, then how have I been lending you money all these years doing it? He said, it works exactly the way I explained. You just don't know what you don't know. And I'm like, oh man, Mr. Big Advisor just got put in his place. And, and I said, okay, well, teach me. He says, well, I can't. I, I just use this. I don't do this. Like I learned from this guy, Brent. And I remember I, I went to Brent and I was all excited. I'm like, tell me about this. I'm an advisor. I know what these are. And he says, all right, watch this 90 minute video. I'm like, no, 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 Brent. I don't, I don't need this 90 minute video. Just like, just, just tell me like, what do I got to do to do this? And he says, you got to watch the 90 minute video to understand how this works. And reluctantly, I remember the big cup of coffee on a Sunday. I watched the video and that 90 minutes went by in like 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. And after I saw that video, it all clicked. And let me kind of get into it because I, I kind of dropped the bomb that, it, you know, it's a whole life, but it's not like anyone understands whole life. So what it involves doing and what the wealthy have done for hundreds of years, all the way back to the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, Walt Disney, Ray Kroc, heck up to the current time, McCain and Biden use this. What it involves is changing just one thing in your life. That's it. You just got to add one step. So if people want to do what the wealthy do, it involves one change, very simple change, change where your savings goes first. So we are taught, you know, as advisors or whoever we get our financial advice from to give up control of our money when we get it. We go out, we work hard, W2 or our business, we make money and I'm gonna pull some money out of my pocket because I'm very <laughs> visual, so it's just easier. So we make money and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pull out a $20 bill. So we make this $20 bill and what do we do immediately? Well, we, we deposit that $20 bill in a bank. And it feels good. I mean, making deposits in banks feels really good. But what does the bank give us when we do that? Does the bank take our $20, put it in a little box in the back with our name on it and say, okay, well, when you need it, we'll come back, come back in and we'll grab your money under box. No, the bank takes this $20 and immediately lends it out. In other words, the bank has become a master of moving money. Mm -hmm. That's all they do. They take your money, they move it out in loans. Then they get monthly payments back and they move those monthly payments out there constantly moving money, just like every business in the world. Deal car dealerships move cars, grocery stores move groceries. But if, if that's what we're taught to do with our money, essentially we're taught to give control of our money to the bank and the bank makes all the money and gives us next to nothing. Well, the same thing with 401ks. When we get a job, 
What are we taught to do? What do your grandparents tell you? You know, when you get a job, put your money in a 401k, make sure you don't retire like we did, you know, save, save, save. So what I did, yeah, I mean, seriously, everybody's the same. Like, I'm, I'm not just speaking about me. This is every single person I talk to. We're all taught the same thing. We're taught to take our money from our paycheck and, oh, yeah, put it in the 401k. You know, and I'm, I'm not saying 401ks are bad, but I do want you to really think about a few things when you're putting money in a 401k. This $20 I'm holding in my hand, is it worth more now or will it be worth more in the future? Now, right? Mm. Yeah. It's, the, it's worth the most it will ever be worth today because in the future, it will be worth less due to inflation and taxes and everything else. So this is my most valuable $20. And I take this $20 and I put it into my 401k because that's what I was told to do. And then that $20 will grow or not grow depending on the markets for the next 5, 10 or 15 years. And then someday later, I'm going to then take this $20 back and I'm going to be taxed on that $20 chances are taxes will go up. So I'll pay a higher tax rate. So really all I did is compound the taxes on this money. But I also got paid back with weaker dollars because I gave up control of this $20 for all of those years. And literally, and I'm just trying to break down the mindset and then I'll get back to that one change, I promise. But no, but this is great. I really appreciate this because there's so many people that, I mean, that's what we're all taught to do, right? right. From the very beginning. So um, so yeah, please go on. We, I mean, well, think about it. We're taught to do things with money that we would never, ever do with things that money buys. Would you ever take money, go out to the grocery store and buy a nice loaf of bread, come home, put it in your freezer, shut the freezer door, and then wait five, 10 or 15 years. I know this is silly, but come back, open the freezer, take out that freezer burned loaf of bread, look at it and say, Hmm. You wouldn't eat that. Would you ever go out and buy, buy your dream car? And then, you know, as soon as you get the keys from the dealer, you'd be like, oh, no, I can't drive this. Got to wait five, 10 or 15 years to drive that car. Would you ever right. say to your spouse the day you're getting the keys for your dream home? Oh, honey, honey, we, we can't move in. We got to wait five, 10 or 15 years and then we can move in. Absolutely not. You wouldn't be in a relationship if you did that, but that's what right. you do with your money. I'm just trying to help your audience understand what's really going on out there. No, for sure. So, so the wealthy, what do they do different? They move their money, but they don't move it through banks because banks use their money. They want to be in control. So what they did is every one of them, I'm telling you, I, I like, I wish I could like just name them all because you'd know all the names. These are very high net worth people. They take that savings where they would normally have put it in a 401k or a bank account and they change just one thing and that is where the money goes first. And they don't deposit in banks, they deposit it in giant mutually owned insurance companies. Why? Well, because giant mutually owned insurance companies are the most sound financial institutions. But not only that, insurance companies are in the business of guarantees. That's what they're in the business of doing is guaranteeing things. Well, what can they guarantee for your money? Well, I'll tell you, they deposit their money into very, and please make note of this, very specially designed and engineered whole life policies that are designed to work as a banking system, not as a life insurance policy, but it is a whole life. And they put the money in there and now their money instantly, the moment that that deposit, that premium deposit goes into that specially designed whole life, their money is now making a guaranteed 4%. And this is as mm -hmm. of 2021, because next year that, that rate's going to go down. Plus, these are mutually owned insurance companies, so they pay a dividend every year. And by today's numbers, those dividends and interest can be as high as 6%. So now their money's making 6%. But I haven't solved the control problem because now a lot of people would say, well, but now your $20 is sitting in the insurance company and they're in control of your money. Yes, but the insurance company at any time says that you can just take your money. You want your money back? You want your cash value? Great, take it. So what the wealthy do is they put money in there. Then when they want to buy something, let's pick on a car, right? We all love cars. We want to buy a car. So what they do is they save enough money in these specially designed whole lives. Then what they'll do is they'll take the money out of it as a loan. They take a loan from their bank, which is this specially mm -hmm. designed whole life, and they go and they buy the car. Now, most people would just say, okay, that's done. If I'm going to buy a car for cash, I save money in a checking or savings account and I pay cash for the car. But the second in a regular bank account or an investment account, the second you take the money out, you stop the flow of interest that you were earning, right? You can't put uh, 20 grand in a bank account, earn interest on that, and then take all 20 grand out and earn interest and to go buy a car, right? The, the bank stops right. paying you interest. But this specially designed whole life policy, when you take a loan, your money never even leaves your account. Therefore, remember, it's making 6% with dividend, okay? When you take 20 grand out of that account to buy the car, 
your 20 grand didn't leave your account. So your 20 grand is still earning uninterrupted compound interest. So who's $20,000 am I holding in my hand? People would ask. Well, it's the insurance company's money, of course. The insurance company will give you a loan up to the amount you have in your account at any time. And they'll just use your money as collateral for this loan. But when I say loan, people think of that as a swear word. Oh, Chris, I don't want more debt. I'm trying to get out of debt. Great. Well, what if the insurance company told you you never have to pay that loan back ever? They don't care. They'll never ask you for that loan back. Now, most people would say, that makes no sense. Just like I did. Chris, that makes no sense. Great. Right. But you know why they don't care if you ever pay that $20,000 back in this example? It's because they subtracted the $20,000 from the debt benefit that they promised to pay someday upon your graduation. And I don't mean graduation of college or high school. I mean, the big graduation day, the day we die, they're going to pay a death benefit no matter what. So if I took 20 grand from them as a loan, they just subtract it from the death benefit. Therefore, they don't care. It's just a push of of numbers on the paper. So now I'm holding 20 grand. Now the insurance company does charge interest on this 20 grand. And as of today, it's 5% simple interest. My money is still sitting in my policy earning 6%. So I'm making an arbitrage of 1%. For anyone that's listening to this, if you're making 1% at your bank for being able to use all your money, don't ever leave that bank, but you're not, it doesn't work that way. So now I got 20 grand. Now let let me wrap this and bring this full circle. I got 20 grand and I located my dream car for 20 grand. Hey, listen, folks, if if 20 grand doesn't buy your dream car, just add a zero. This works for Ford Focuses all the way to Ferraris. We just got to add zeros. (laughs) We got 20 grand and we buy that dream car. Now, if you had just gone into that dealership and bought that dream car, Normally, there's a couple ways you can buy. You can pay cash, which then you just lost the earning potential on your 20 grand by paying cash and you got a depreciating asset. Number two, you could finance the car and exchange monthly payments, principal and interest for the right to drive the car for a period of five years or something. Or you could lease the car where you've exchanged monthly payments with interest for the right to drive the car and then you don't ever own the car. All we're going to do is we're going to treat our $20,000 that we just borrowed from our bank which is that specially designed whole life, we're going to treat this the same way we would treat the bank's money. So we buy the car. We now have the car. We're, we're going to drive it. But now what we're going to do is we're going to make monthly payments, just like the same exact monthly payment I would have given to the Porsche dealer, the Mercedes dealer, the BMW dealer, whatever they would have charged me for this car. I'm going to make that exact same monthly payment back to my bank. On the check that I write every month, I'm instead of writing Porsche, I'm going to write Chris Noggle. How much more fun is it to pay yourself than to pay somebody else? But you see, now every monthly payment that I pay back to my bank, that money can be used by me immediately the next day. So those monthly payments are just really conditioning and just you recapturing and and recycling the money that you would give away to everybody else. Do do I have time to do one more now that we understand that circle? Yeah, no, this is amazing. And and honestly, I also think, and this is just more from a mindset or visualizing kind of perspective too. But when you are writing checks to yourself, I mean, I think there's also something that that must be sort of a fulfilling prophecy as well that oh kind of gosh, brings in yes. more opportunities. I mean, just thinking from like a, a big picture, you know, mindset perspective, I mean, that's that's that alone is worth so much, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. It, listen, I do this for everything. You know, my wife's Porsche, my my Mercedes, like I I'm the bank. I bought those with my banking system and I make payments back to my bank. And, you know, a lot of people hate making their car payments. I love making mine because every one of them are back in my account growing and I can use them anytime. It is such a self-fulfilling thing that I don't know how to explain until somebody does it. But let's talk about one more if, if I have time. Cause yeah, this is no, I'd now, love to hear. now we understand that circle, right? Cause all we did is we, we changed where the money went first. We then took the money out to buy the things that we would normally finance with somebody else's bank. But now we were the bank. And then we just made the monthly payments back to ourselves. You know, one thing that people often are very misinformed about is building wealth. A lot of people think that building wealth involves working harder, longer, involves taking on more risk. And and there's a part to all of that. Yes, that is part of the wealth building process, but that isn't really what the wealthy do. You see, the wealthy understand that to build wealth, the first place they should start is look at where all their money goes now. So if you went to went through your monthly expenses, okay, where all your checks are being written every month and you looked at, okay, money's going to Visa, Amex, money's going to the car dealerships, every you, you look at where it all goes, what most people will find is that about 90 cents of every single dollar they make is going to somebody else. And 10% is what they're getting to keep. 90 cents goes to somebody else. 
Well, to build wealth, wouldn't it just make more sense instead of working harder, working longer, losing control of your money or taking on more risk just to take back the money we give away? So now let's use that same example. Now, instead of a $20 bill, I'm going to use $100, right? We take $100, we change where that money goes first. It goes into this specially designed and engineered whole life policy. And from here on out, I'm going to call it my private bank. Okay, mm -hmm. It goes in there. And then I look at where all my money's going. Now, let's just focus on one. Let's focus on Visa. And, and this is a real story because this is the first one I focused on. I, Visa is the one I use the most. And I owe Visa, let's just call it $100, right? We got $100 deposited in my account, my private bank, and I owe Visa $100. And every single month, I pay Visa $10 a month. And they charge me 26.99%. They really do. 26.99%, I pay $10 a month on this $100 balance. Got the numbers. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go into my private bank and I'm going to take a loan of $100. So I take my $100 out as a loan. Now I'm holding $100 and I pay off Visa. So now I no longer own Visa anything. Okay. I, you know, the insurance companies charging me 5%, but I paid off Visa with this hundred. And I used to give Visa, I used to give Visa $10 every month. So I'm going to grab $10 here. So I got a $10 bill in my hand. Now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to continue making that $10 payment, but I'm going to change the name on the check. Instead of putting Visa on the check every month, I'm going to set up a bill pay that says Chris Noggle on that check. Well, really, it would say the insurance company, but we're just trying to visualize this. Sure. So now this $10 a month, which was equal to 26.99%, is now coming back to my bank. And I just pay it back to my bank as the loan repayment for the loan that I just took out. So every single month, $10 is paying down that $100 loan that I took from the insurance company. But what did I just do in doing that? Let's, let's recap. I started building wealth by taking back money that I was giving away to everybody else. And that didn't involve me to work any harder. It didn't make me work any longer. It didn't make me give up control of my money. And I took on no risk. All I did is I just changed the name on where my check was going. I also made some money on my policy, didn't I? Because my $100 never actually left my account. I was making 6% on that. Of that 6%, I had to give 5% back to the insurance company, but I got to keep 1%. And this is only the first year. But then that $10 I was given to Visa, that was interest that I used to pay them at a rate of 26.99. I'm now paying myself back or recapturing and recycling 26.99% interest that I used to just gladly give away. So I just made money twice doing nothing different than every one of your listeners can do. Right. And, and that is the basis for what I learned when I learned what the wealthy do. Now, this is just one little piece. This goes way deeper, but we don't have time to peel that, that onion. I literally covered the equivalent of the pimple on the elephant's butt today. <laughs> but I, I just want you to see if you just drew a circle and you just made sure that every dollar that you save goes somewhere to do the things that we want. Because I don't want any of you, you know, doing, you know, and one of the gurus out there says, okay, you know, to pay off all your debt, what you got to do is eat rice and beans. And when you're sick of rice and beans, you then switch around and eat beans and rice. I don't want you guys to stop having your Starbucks. I just want you to change one thing. And I want you to start focusing on taking back the money that you're giving away to everybody else. And then you can have your Starbucks and you don't have to eat rice and beans and then beans and rice. Everybody wow. knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> that, so. is, uh, that is so powerful and very profound. Um, I'm curious. I know we're, um, we'll wrap up here in just a minute, but I am curious also, uh, if you invest any money in like a, a 401k or the stock market, or sure. is most of it through the life insurance, this life insurance strategy? That's I know it. you said you're just scratching the surface, but it is. Curious. Yeah. So it's a great question. So because I do come from Wall Street, I do still trade the stock market, but not the way the average person does. My trades are one day long. I trade futures and we trade for one day. I'll find an entry point in the morning of a future. Maybe it's soybean, maybe it's oil, maybe it's you know the S&P 500. I make the trade. If it moves my direction, I'm out sometime in the afternoon. And we do this every day. I actually have a full-time trader that does this. We also trade options very rarely, especially in this market, because it is at the highest point it's ever been at. It's going to explode in 2022 and 2023. I just can't tell you when, but that'll be close. When it does, Anybody that's in this game for the long haul is in for a big hurting. Start thinking of 1929, think of 2008, think of the early 2000s, put them in a blender, hit the start button. That's what this is going to look like. It's going to be bad. So don't play the long game right now. Play the control game, control your money. Control. And I'm not saying stocks are bad. So do I have money in the stock market? Yes, but very, very little. And the money that I put in the stock market, as funny as it sounds, comes from my private bank. 
I put money in my private bank. I then take loans. I put it in my brokerage account. And then I repay myself at a rate of 6%. Why 6%? It's just an arbitrary number that I came up with. So I recapture that 6%. My brokerage account builds on whatever we make or lose, you know, because we do lose sometimes. But right. do I put money in 401ks? Zero, not one penny. I do have money in a self-directed IRA from when I used to work in Wall Street because I, I had a 401k, but now I loan that money out to real estate investors so they can do their real estate deals. I don't do any of the traditional financial things that I used to teach as an advisor. I do the wow. complete opposite today. And I also buy a lot of real estate and I do truly believe that real estate is the greatest investment that anyone can ever make. But you gotta be very careful right now because the market's really hot and really high. But I still think single family houses are gonna be just the, the thing to own in the future. And I am heavy, heavily bullish on that. So if you can buy them right, that's, that's definitely a good move. Got it. And then do you buy those from your self-directed IRA? Uh, I don't um, use my self-directed IRA to buy okay. any of mine because that would be self-dealing. Oh, I own right. my self-directed IRA. I just lend out his private loans to other people on 12 month uh, in, intervals at 12%. Yeah. Um, so no, my, uh, my real estate deals, I do a lot of them the same way most real estate investors do. I go to a private lender or sometimes I take money from my private bank if, it, if it's in there, but my money's always mm -hmm. in motion and I will then buy the property. And then I usually will refinance it with my community bank at 80 cents on the dollar. And if I did it right, I usually get 100% of my money back. So most of my properties, I have zero of my own money in them. It's just all bank money. And then we do the burr strategy and we rent them out. That's our, that's our big real estate play. I don't really flip too much anymore. I do a couple of wholesale deals here and there, but I'm really just the buy and, and hold singles and doubles right now. That's all I'm looking at. And mobile home parks. We're, uh, we're very much, we're creating a private fund right now to raise money to buy tons and tons of mobile home parks. Wow. Well, this is, um, I mean, I, I so appreciate you being here today and sharing this. I mean, I'm kind of in a, a wow state right now and I can't <laughs> wait to hear uh, or to read your book because I understand yes. you've got a special treat for our listeners as well. <laughs> I sure do. I got a free book because I know I everybody's going to be interested in what I said, but I only gave you a little bit. So I want your audience to all have my book, Mapping Out the Millionaire Mystery, and you can all have it for free. All you do is you just pay the shipping. So I'll tell you in a second how to get that. And also YouTube, you know, I've got so many videos on my YouTube channel at the Chris Noggle. And there, you know, I, I truly, I like giving this stuff away for free. I like teaching people, this is how I got out of my mess. This is how you can do it. So just watch as many of the videos as you can. They're on all these topics on privatized banking. And yeah. the best part is they're all free. That's awesome. Well, so appreciate that. So the best ways, and, and actually I have one more question before I let you sure. go. Um, I'm always curious, uh, do you have, because especially for, you know, being a, a high level entrepreneur that you are, do you have a grounding practice or a meditation practice or something yes. that you do for inspiration? I'd love to hear it. Yeah. So mine is very simple. Every morning when my feet hit the ground, I drop to my knees and I thank God for the day. That's my very first thing I do. Uh, then I, I, you know, the rest of my day is fairly simple. I do work out two to three times every single week, religiously, first thing in the morning, after I think. So I start my days with a simple practice of gratitude. And I finish my days with that same routine of gratitude. So that's my simple strategy. And that's what I do. And it works for me. I love that. And do you use a journal or is it just kind of saying it aloud and getting into that state of gratitude? I'm my curious. journal, my journal today consists of my iPhone's notepad right there. Ah, That's my journal. Okay. So, you know, I have reminders, daily reminders of gratitude that I change up from time to time. So I have little reminders to go off, like tell my mom, I love her, you know, just little things you shouldn't have to remind yourself, but you got to build that habit. So that's what I do. And I do, I do list all the things and uh, I'm very good throughout the day of making sure that I say thank you a lot of times. And in the form of sometimes just, if I speak to somebody on the phone, I mail them a thank you card, you know, so I constantly am doing that. And uh, it just, there's some really powerful about when you do a call with somebody, you don't have to sell them something. And then you take just a moment and you grab a thank you card and you just write a little note and you sign it and you put it. When you put that in the mailbox, I don't know what it is, but you just feel so good about doing it. And the funny thing is, is people actually call you and thank you for sending them a thank you card. It's weird. I never got thank yous when I made people hundreds or millions of dollars in Wall Street, but now I send a simple gratitude, a simple card that says thank you. And I actually get a thank you back. It's amazing how that works. It is amazing. Well, and I actually just recorded a show on gratitude. 
So I think that that, uh, <laughs> so we're speaking the same language here, you know, and I think that's uh, one of the most powerful practices that people can implement is just that. And, um, and, you know, your world can shift with just, you know, that change too. So can uh, I add anyway. one thing to that? Cause yeah. it's so important. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I'd be so mad at myself. I didn't say this. The other thing too, that every wealthy person I've ever done and something I do and something you're talking about is people, if you want to be successful, just give more. I swear to God, like I, I can't tell you why or how or what makes this happen. But if you just focus your day on finding out how you can give and give doesn't have to mean, oh, I have to give money because a lot of people, oh, I don't have any money. When I have money, I'll give it. No, you won't. Because when you have money, you'll have the same philosophy as you have today when you don't have money or you'll just never have money because you didn't give. But if you give your time, you give uh, simple things like find somebody that you can help get groceries for just little things. I mean, God, there's so many stupid little things you can do. Just give folks and your life will transform. I don't know why, but that is another thing that I learned. Mm, yeah, it's so true. And it, it's, um, and you're right. It doesn't have to be money. Sometimes we jump to that, but it can, it's just your time. And I love how, even when you started, you said one of the things that you focused on was just that person. And how can I be of the best service? How can I help them the most that day? You know? And I think that it's clear that, you know, you went from helping people solve problems to helping people now solve bigger problems. Yeah. Right. And you're still uh, looking to, uh, change the, the money wealth story. So to empower people to create all that they want and That's create exactly what it wealth. is. It is creating, so. creating, not conforming. Don't conform with what people want your life to live or look like. Conf don't ever conform, just create the life you want. I love that you yeah. mentioned that creation is the most powerful thing there is. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Chris. I, I so enjoyed all of, uh, all of this. And again, how can people connect with you yeah, the, in the best possible way? You mentioned YouTube. It's very easy. So if you guys want the book for free, just go to my website, which is chrisnoggle.com. One index finger swipe up and you'll see free book. It's just grab the book, pay the shipping, get it and read it. If you don't like reading books, there's an audio book of that on Amazon. But the other thing too, just go to my YouTube and watch the videos. It will transform your life. And if there's any way I can be of service, you just let me know. And all the contact information is on my website. Awesome. Thank you again, Chris. Really appreciate your time. Thank you for the time. I'm Kara, and you've been listening to Soul Inspiring Business. If you found this helpful, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And if you feel so bold, share with others as well. Thanks again for listening. I look forward to growing